Y'all are about to get the yelling hellfire and brimstone version of the pastor. How much better is this? Man. Listen, if you have your Bible, open with me uh, to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 15, specifically in 16, is where we're going to be hanging out today. As we start a series, I shared with you, we finished our family values series on what we believe is a church uh, last week, and we're jumping into um, a new series that's going to last just about four weeks, uh, looking at the family life of Abraham, uh, Sarai, Ishmael, and Jacob. Um, and as we walk through this, a few things to let you know. One, we are going to use family as a lot of our illustrations this week because we believe and know that we need to be equipping families at every age. But at the same time, hear this, that the truths that we're going to talk about are applicable in every single life's situation. And so Scripture is not singularly focused to where you can turn on and turn off that switch. And so as we walk through this series called Seeking His Blessing, we're going to look at what that looks like in a life of Abraham. And so as we do that this morning, um, we're going to be looking at the promise of God in chapter 15 and then looking at Abraham uh, and Sarai asking God to bless their approach to claiming his promise. Uh, about uh, 13 years ago now, I got to sit with Connor uh, in the flight control tower at uh, Intercontinental Airport. Uh, one of our good friends was an air traffic controller, and in doing so, uh, he let us in for a sneak peek uh, to see how it works. And, and I've never known this before. I always thought there's just one guy up in the way high tower because on every movie, that's the thing that gets blown up, amen? So that's where I just assumed all air traffic controllers worked, but it wasn't at all. There is a tower like that in our continental, but there's actually a building. And when you walk into this building, it looks like the 1980s vomited Nintendos everywhere. And you know what I'm saying? Like everything's green dotted and whatnot, but there are rows and rows and rows of, of air traffic controllers working side by side doing the same thing. They are tracking the approach of all of the planes coming to them, those in the area. And their whole goal is to make sure that they hold the approach they're given instead of taking their own approach. H have you ever been on the other side of that? You've been up in a plane and you can see you're right here at the airport and then your plane turns and it feels like it does three full circles and comes and lands 20 minutes later. Well, that's because the people on the ground see something bigger. They have a bigger plan in mind. And in doing so, they are doing this, and they don't have the whole picture in front of them. They just have their screen. And when a plane starts going off their screen, they literally hand it off to the next person because they want to make sure the approach matters. And I remember walking through that with my friend and just getting a peek. And you're not allowed to like talk and give people high fives while they're handing planes off to one another that's frowned upon. But I just remember walking through. And I, I remember thinking, I wonder what it was like on that day about 10 years prior when air traffic controllers were watching planes take their own approach and and the damage and the destruction that was done on that day is something that our country will never forget 
but I had never thought about it from the air traffic controllers before anyone in the world saw it happen they knew someone is trying to accomplish their will instead of the will of the company and so would you do this because I don't want to allow a moment to go further and as we talk about what we're talking about in the family I don't think it lacks importance would you just bow your head with me as we pray Father God there is absolutely nothing new about destruction God we know that there is absolutely nothing surprising about sinful people doing sinful things but God we know that that day for many in this room and for our country Lord that it it woke us up it changed our perception of things and so Father God I pray that as we talk today Lord about your approach versus our approach and and the damage and the destruction that comes from from taking our own approach God Lord, that we would just remember the sacrifice of those who gave their lives to help others on that day, but also, Lord, that we would remember the need for light and life in, the, in not just the country, but the whole world. But Lord, starting in our homes today, Lord, we invite you to bring your approach and to make it the primary one in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, listen, if you have your Bible, um, walk with me uh, into uh, Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through 6, and then also verses 12 through 16. They help everything that we're going to talk about for four weeks make sense. And so if you like uh, understanding what's going on, we have to read this part uh, to get ahead of it, to know what's happening uh, in the midst of it. So, so let's read verse 1 in chapter 15. It says this, And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, that would later he would be known as Abraham. And he says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my health, house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have been given, behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, toward, Look toward heaven, number the stars. If you're able to number them, then you'll be able, he said to him, you, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now go down to verse 12. It says, the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs. They will be servants there um, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. And I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the inequities of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, here's what I love about Scripture. You can look at every other religious writing out there, and it's a pretty amazing thing. There's an authenticity that God shows us that man is not willing to have. The story, God says, let me start off to you with this incredible promise, Abram. Here's the promise. 
Not only will I bless you and will your reward be great, but I will be the shield that protects you to ensure that nothing can stand against you. Like you have my guarantee. And Abram said, well, well, here's my problem, God. I don't have kids and I'm an old guy. And so you can bless me all you want, but someone who's not related to me is gonna have the blessing. Listen, I love that scripture shows us that we have a God that we can be honest with. We walk around this world trying to pretend like we need to fool God into thinking we've got it all together. But God knows better. And Abram is not, he's not um, ugly towards God. That never works out well for anybody. But he's honest towards God. And God says, I want you to know, I hear you. And, and you don't understand it, but let me articulate it to you. This man will not be your heir. And on top of that, I will give you a son, like from your body. But know this about the promise. You will never call the promised land home as an established kingdom. In fact, let me tell you so that you can be so certain that people won't be discouraged. There's going to be a time where you don't belong. Your children, they're going to be sojourners. They're going to be afflicted. They're going to be taken captive. But there will be a day when they leave captivity with possessions, and then they will own the promised land. Church, how amazing is it that God makes it really clear ahead of time, this is what's before you, and I want to encourage you with the truth. Now, church, here's where it gets a little tricky. Because right now, I believe in this moment, we see this promise kind of beefed up from Genesis chapter 12. Where Abram says, I'm going to give my life to seeking God's blessing. And church, when I say that in today, I want you to do this. I want you to think of your house. And I want you to say, Lord, what would it be like in my life to seek your blessing? And, and before you think it's getting rich and having a white picket fence and not having any issues in life, let me go back to you what God said. Abram, I want you to know for certain, verse 11, for certain your offsprings will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs. They will be servants. They will be afflicted. If you think prosperity gospel equals God's blessing, then the story of Abraham has to be thrown out right now. Because God's blessing is certain, but is also in his time, and it will be a reflection to a fallen world. And so here's Abraham getting this amazing kind of paradox. I am blessed by God. He has a plan for me. Yet in his plan, I'm going to struggle and my kids are going to struggle. And the promise that is coming is one that I may not ever fully see. Church, when I'm looking at seeking God's blessing in my home, when you're talking about, God, what does it look like to seek your blessing with my children, in my marriage, at my work, in my neighbors, just in my home? If I'm looking for that, church, what you have to understand, what I have to understand is that that blessing can only be found through the plans and the paths of God Almighty. I mean, to liken God to an air traffic controller handing off planes is, is to to make small something that's infinite but it's the best picture i have god is saying here is where you're going to go and there's going to be storms and it's going to look rough at times and you're going to be anxious but be for certain i am going to get you from point a to point b just follow me 
in your life at home, church, that I think is a promise of God for you and for I. That that's something that he has a clear purpose for you and for your children. But what I want to do is I want to look at Abraham's life and his family because there became a temptation that happened that, that I think sneaks into our life and keeps us from following God's approach and makes us take our own. Look at chapter 16, just verse 1 and verse 2 uh, as we get started. Verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 6. It tells us very quickly who we're talking about. Verse 1. Now Sarai, which is Abram's wife, she had borne him no children, but she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant that I shall obtain children by her. And so Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now church, this is a trap, right? If anyone's spouse ever says that to you, the answer is no. The promise of God and the beauty of my beloved is greater than anything that just came out of your mouth. Would you take a breathalyzer? Are you following me? Like sincerely, like, we can see this doesn't sound like a good plan. But what I want you to see is where it's birthed because that's where I, I think we become deceivers of ourselves when we're trying to accomplish God's blessing and seek his blessing through our approach. All right, let's go back in here to verse 2. Now, Sarai said to Abram, listen to what she says and who she's talking about. Behold, the Lord God has prevented me from bearing children, so I have a plan. See, when you and I as parents get tired of waiting on the Lord, when you and I as individuals get worn out of saying, God, I know you've got a blessing, but apparently you're preventing me, you're holding back, you're not accomplishing your will, as I said. What Sarai is, is at least honest enough to what we often are not honest enough to do, is saying this, I have some type of contempt for God because he is promising much and delivering little. And, and this contempt for blessing on my own terms isn't unique to Sarai. If you were to think back to Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden, God says, I have everything for you, Adam and Eve. I have everything you want or need. You are going to live the blessed life. You are going to commune with me. It's going to be incredible. But in that moment, the enemy, the, the Satan, comes to Eve and says, hey, what happens if you eat from this tree? She says, well, die. And he says, well, actually, you'll become like God. In other words, if you abandon obedience to God and you will just reach out your own approach and grab life by the horns, so to speak, or by the fruit, if you'll just grab it, there's more for you under your power than there is under God's protection. We think about Eve and the Bible says that Adam ate of that too. But, but if you've ever seen pictures in the Bible, picture stories growing up, have you ever seen a picture where Eve looks angry? I've never seen a Bible picture where Eve looks angry. 
But what would make you spit in the face of God when he has given you everything? Contempt. I can't imagine that she's not believing that, that there is someone better. And then she tastes it, and it tastes great. And so she gives it to her husband. This is contempt for God. He is holding back on me. And church, I want you to hear this. In your home, men, in your home, ladies, when you have contempt for God, you start becoming really critical about how everyone else isn't following your approach to the blessing God has promised. All of a sudden, we become tempted by this pressure and we start getting something and all we're doing is saying I have contempt for God I was reading some statistics about parents and this is what I read parental pressure temptation for us in home uh, 93% of spouses desperately desire for their spouse's approval of how they're parenting 72%, mom and dad, this will make you feel good. 72% of parents, they desperately desire their parents' approval of how they're parenting. 52% desperately want their friends' approval of how they're parenting. And 45% desperately desire for the community to approve of how they're parenting. Church, in the middle of all of this pressure, it becomes pretty tempting for you and I to say, God, we need to help you out. There needs to be some kind of human efforts to help you get what's going. And how do I know that you need help? Because God, when I start seeking your blessing and I start pulling my own approach, I start doing things that I know you haven't directed or I know aren't quite in line with Scripture, but hey, listen, the ends justify the means. In that moment, that is contempt for God and you and I are living for idol worship approval of other people. Listen, I have been tempted to help God out as a husband and as a parent. I have fallen behind before and thought, God, I need to uphold an image. I need for people to know I care. I need for this and that and the other. Let me tell you the reality of what happens. When you and I try to help out God, our actions are rooted in displeasure with God and they are um, an overestimation of my power and my responsibility. When you and I try to step outside of God's will, when we say, God, I, I know you tell me I need your word in my child, but I am busy and really sports. I mean, we played soccer for years at my house. That's, that's where I find joy. I feel like I'm molding my child through sports. And I know, now listen, I love sports and I want to come watch everybody's games. But if it's at the, if it's at the detriment or if it's not subordinate to God's approach, then you are leading your child to absolutely love ignoring God. I mean, if you have a date night every week, and I am a fan of date days, we do date breakfasts at our house. If you do a date with your spouse 
all of the time to, to bless them. But you never pray with them. You never read God's word with them. You never serve the Lord together. You never worship side by side together. Then you are building up your spouse to absolutely be settled with far less than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You were creating a false joy for them to fall in love with that is not Jesus. And that is the definition of idol worship. Church, it's so tempting because we care about the blessing and we really care what everybody else around us thinks. So it's hard to be angry at Sarai here. The plan is crazy. I mean, I'm with you. And what does Abram do? The same thing that I feel like most men do. I don't want to fight this battle. Whatever. What? I mean, that's unimaginable. And I get it culturally. It was okay to, to have a, your wife's servant become an underwife, a second. I don't even know how it worked. That didn't make sense to defend. Amen? Again, men, that's a trap. Amen? It's a trap. There's nothing good that sounds about it, but sin so deceives us that it says, my contempt for God can be satisfied by my getting the blessing, and at the end, I'll be happy. Look in your Bible then at verse 3 through verse 6, and this is what goes down after this brilliant plan of seeking God's blessing through my own approach. Verse 3. So, after, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, right? So it's been 10 years Sarai's been waiting on, on, on this baby, and it hadn't happened yet. Um, Abram, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, and ser her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she, she conceived. And when she, this is Sarai, saw that she, Hagar, had conceived, she, Sarai, looked with contempt on her mistress, and verse 5, and said to Abram, May the wrong done to you, to me, be on you. I love, that's my favorite. You did this. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. Well, may the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. <laughs> Some awesome husband moments in this, right? Right? It says, First you told me to do this. Now you've told me to... Oh, guys, don't raise your hand. Have you ever felt like you've been in a washing machine of your wife's ideas? If you've ever been in this moment, let me help you out. You're not being the husband God's called you to be. Because God has called you to a position of leadership, of encouragement, of esteeming your wife. And if you are bouncing around with every idea, even if it doesn't sound good, it's like, you want me to go have a child with someone else? Sounds good. You don't like what happened? Do what you want. I'm, I'm just here. Note to self, men, when you don't follow God's approach in seeking his blessing in your home, then you are creating an environment for your beloved to get beat down worn out and find herself living in content, content. 
wives, just to, to encourage you, it's not just about husbands. Because Sarah has this in t- a t- contempt for God, and it's that contempt. She can't place a, a finger on why she has her contempt, but she's not getting that blessing. So when finally Hagar conceives, she knows I have someone other than myself to blame for this. I have abandoned God's approach. I've gone after his blessing for his glory. And look, this girl is not appreciative. So now she's looking on me with contempt. Well, I'm looking on you with contempt. And you, don't be smirking over there, Abram. Right? You did this to me. Can you, guys, can you imagine? He's like, I knew that was a bad idea. I knew that was a bad idea. You did this to me. In fact, what I, what I love is, so may you feel how I feel. Don't you love the dynamics of a home? Scripture is so honest. Here's the deal. When you, husband, wife, single, individual, however, when you have contempt for God, and while your heart is contemptuous towards God, you seek the blessing of God in your home by your own approach, let me tell you, you will find a villain. But without conviction of the Holy Spirit, you will always think it's somebody, not you. You will always look for someone else to blame. And there's a self-righteousness of Sarai here that says, if I'm miserable, you be miserable. Verse 5, may the wrong be done to me be on you. May the Lord judge between you and me church if you were to go back and read Genesis chapter 3 you would see this curse of the fall playing straight out in this moment you would see it just raining down the woman will strive to have to be against her husband because she will want what God has told him and the man will have to work against the the land against the relationships of his world there will be a battle in the home because of sin when you and I try to seek God's blessing in our home where the ends justify the means let me tell you the fruit is always sour Because the tree you're eating from was sown in the contempt of your heart towards God. So God will not bless that approach. Let let me give you a stats, because moms, you have a different road. Uh, Especially if you've ever stayed at home with your kiddo. I stayed home for half a day when Ashley was young, and I was like, I'm done. I'm going back to work. It's too much. Listen to what this says. This is mom statistics. Between younger moms age 18 to 34 to moms who are now 51 to 70, there is a 16% decline in people who rate themselves as very good parents. That's encouraging. It just gets harder, ladies. Welcome to church. Now check this. You have this decline... And then you have this number, 57% of moms feel guilty every single day that they are not being a good parent. Church, that is the fruit of sin. 
That is the fruit of comparing ourselves to the world, of taking up against this. Men, hear this in your home. That is what your wife is producing. That is the environment she's producing in. And to have a man in the home who's just like, I'll do what you say. Oh, good, we don't have to go to church. If you don't want to go to church, I'll stay home with you and sit in bed. If you, if you don't want to read your Bible, it's totally good. Men, when your wife's outpacing you in the Word, she may be dying on an island because you're not there with her. Follow me. This is the fruit that contempt against God has. And we are to know that God is our shield, that God is the one who protects us. And when you are trying to be a good husband, a good wife, or a good parent, and you are not following the approach of God, then church, I promise you, the fruit that you will yield 20, 30, 40 years from now will disappoint you. Just look at the statistics. If you are following God's approach as a mom, you will not feel guilty because you're walking with him, not with them. If you are following God's approach as a dad, as a husband, as a single, as a senior adult, if you are following God's approach, then this guilt of the world that is debilitating, that's destroying, that's rottening out our society, it will have no power on you. But here's what you have to be willing to see. It was 10 years between the giving of the promise and Sarah finally acting. The world would say that was long enough. But God says, my timing is perfect. God says, you don't grow weary, Galatians 6, 9, of doing good because in my time, you'll reap the harvest. Don't quit on me. Don't stop on me. Don't abandon my approach and ask me to bless rotten fruit. He's got better things planned for us. And you'll see it through. Verse 7 through 16 says it like this. Oh. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness, in the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, submit to her. And the angel also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so they can't be numbered for, uh, for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you will bear a son. You will call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction and he will be a wild donkey of a man and his hand against everyone. His hand and everyone's hand will be against him. He will dwell over and against all of his kinsmen. So she spoke the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. And therefore, the well was called Bihlahorai. It lies between Kadesh and Berea. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar had bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now, now here's what I want you to know. This is actually good news and a life check. Here's the good news. I, Clarity. God's going to keep his promise. We'll get there next week. God's going to keep his promise to Abram. 
because this is not the way he's gonna allow Abram to continue. How do we know Ishmael is not the son? Because what the promise of, of Tehagar is, is that he will be a wild donkey against everyone, his hands against all and all against them. And basically he will be a people without a people. Because of Hagar, excuse me, Sarai and Abram's action, the rottenness of her contempt would always be felt. Now, this is the bad before the good. Now, here's what I want you to know. Just because God offers forgiveness and is true to his promise doesn't mean that sin has no consequences. I'll say that again for you guys. Just because God forgives and is good and keeps his promises does not mean that sin has no consequences. I think there's been some faulty teaching throughout the years of that, that as soon as I ask forgiveness, then they're all consequences. Listen, in Christ, eternal consequences are wiped away. But honestly, what Scripture says in the New Testament is, if God loves you, He disciplines you. By definition, for those whom God loves, He disciplines. There's consequences to sin. For those whom God has rejected or has rejected Him, there's judgment. That's consequences of sin. In both scenarios, there's consequences. So don't trick yourself into thinking something different but here's the beautiful thing and Hagar tells it to us what Hagar says is this you are the God who sees verse 13 but listen to what God says about himself verse 11 you will call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction church here's what we need to know the good news is, is that not only is God a God of promises, but he is a God who sees and he hears all of us. The beauty of this story is not that God is going to find a way to work around Hagar and Sarai and Abraham scheming. The beauty of it is this is that the promise that God said in chapter 15, he will make to be true. And he will bring about a blessing through Abram bigger than Abram ever imagined. But in that promise, we get a call to repentance. We get a call in our sorrow. See, the 10 years between the promise and this approach this scheme God was still the God who sees and hears he saw how Sarai and Abram were wrestling with that he heard their prayers and their cries when Hagar when she was thrown out treated by God's people in a way that God had not called her to be treated God saw and he heard and he's good so what's greater than the consequence is the reality that the very same God who makes promises to Abraham makes promises to us and 
one of his promises is about his character. Because this is what he says to his people. For I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That means if you're in that moment of that 10-year gap, trying to get approval from everybody else about the job you're doing, just to have some self-esteem because you're buried in guilt, let me help you out here. You don't live for their approval because you have a God who sees and he hears you. He knows when you're hurting and he knows what you need. He knows when you're thriving and he's your biggest cheerleader. In, in these places, don't allow the waiting to, to cultivate contempt that drives you away from God. But instead, in the waiting, follow what Abraham did in chapter 15. Just pour your heart out to God. God, I have heard your promises, but my heart is still wanting. God, I have heard your plans, but I am still struggling. I have heard what you have said, but I am wrestling with this. There's no place cover to cover where when God's people lift up their voice to him in humility, prayer, and honesty, that he is a God of anger waiting to wipe you out. But that confession is repentance. If you were flying that airplane, it's you saying, God, I'm being tempted to take someone else's approach. And I don't want to, but I can't handle it anymore. I need you. He says, I will never leave or forsake you. Lord, maybe your prayer, guys, is I have been Abram. I haven't been leading. I've just been this rudder tossed around trying to keep the peace because my family is just struggling so much. Maybe your prayer is, God, I don't even know how to set the course. The God of promises who will never leave or forsake you says, you begin right here. You let me set the course. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior Church this morning, let me tell you, you cannot make rotten fruit good. But we have a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who can make the dead come to life. So your rotten fruit is no challenge for him. Because he is the good father. And so maybe now is the time to say, God, I am seeking your blessing. Let me abandon my approach and submit my life to yours, accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Church. However God is calling you this morning, I want you to know you were designed to seek his blessing, to run after him. And his heart is for you to taste and see how good that is. But if you were off course, if you've been asking him to bless your approach today, right now is the best time to start over again. Right here. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, the reality of the pressure of this world is not something you are unfamiliar with. We praise you that you sent your one and only son to live a life in this world, to feel every pressure, to heal every comment, to get every glaring eye and gazing gaze. Lord, you know our contempt even before we do. 
So, Father God, between your invitation, your blessing, and the fulfillment of those promises, Lord, would you let us surrender ourselves to you so that our approach would simply be the ones handed to us by the one who controls our life. And Lord, when we are tempted to stray and take our own path to your blessing, God, Lord, would you keep us from that? But Lord, you're not just the God who serves and works before sin. You're the God who sent his son because of sin. Lord, I know this room is filled with people who have made bad decisions trying to create good things. Lord, I, I, I think the regrets of, of my heart as a parent and a husband, it would fill too many spiral notebooks. But you are the God who even in the harvest of my sin invites me back through repentance to the God who sees and the God who knows. And in that repentance, Lord, your blessing is still greater than the fruit of my sin. We love you, Jesus, in your name.